my question for you tonight is, what is your step of faith? What is your step of faith? What should be the next step you need to take? Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about taking steps of faith. We've been looking at stories from the Old Testament about ordinary people who take extraordinary steps of faith when they encounter a God who is with them and for them. And we've been talking about what these steps would look like in our lives today as we encounter that same God, a, a God who went to the cross for us, a God named Jesus. And we've given you some of these examples, but I want to, as we're bringing this series to a close, just go back over some of these and think about these. A step of faith for you might be going to church. We had a guy last week who said it's the first time he'd been in a church since he was a little kid. That was a step of faith for him to go to church. Giving to the church might be a step of faith for you. Leading a small group. Going on a mission trip. We have some people up from Tennessee. Thanks for coming on a mission trip. Um, starting a new church. It's funny, I already had that in my notes, but we have some people here who are thinking about starting a church, so that's awesome. Preaching might be uh, a step of faith for you, or maybe just talking to someone else about Jesus. Maybe just reading the Bible. You think that book kind of scares me. I don't know what's in it. Maybe that's a step of faith for you. Maybe just having a consistent time where you pray is a step of faith. Maybe fasting. We're going to talk a little bit about fasting today in our message. Um, maybe attending a small group. Maybe you've never gone to a small group before. Maybe you're ready to become a follower of Jesus. That's a great step of faith to take. And we'll talk more about that at the end of the message. Maybe loving your enemies is a step of faith you need to take. You might think, I don't have any enemies. Who's that person who hurts you and is against you and is constantly out to undermine you? That's your enemy. And Jesus says to love them. That would be a step of faith. Maybe it's your step of faith to be baptized. Or maybe to befriend someone far away from God. What I find is we're more likely to take a step of faith if we prepare properly. I think if we make good preparation, we'll do a better job about taking a step of faith. We'll be more confident to take that step and we'll stick with it longer. Um, Abraham Lincoln famously said that if he had eight hours to cut down a tree, he'd spend six sharpening his axe because preparation matters. And I think if you're going to make a step of faith, how you prepare is going to help you not only take that step, but stick with that step after you take it. Um, you, you know, I think sometimes when it comes to taking a step of faith, we, we think we've got to get ourselves like real excited. Like maybe if I turn on Christian music, worship music real loud, or maybe if I listen to some Christian rap or something, I can get myself real excited to do this. And you usually see people who maybe go away to camp or they go away to a conference and they get all excited. They're like, I'm going to make this step of faith. And then they come back and they just go back into what they're used to doing. How do we prepare properly? I don't think it's like uh, if you remember the old NBC sitcom, The Office, when Dwight Schrute, he was the crazy salesman, right? He would prepare for a sales call, but he'd get in his car, crank up his music, and he'd play like air drums, and he'd go crazy in his car, and that's how he'd get himself all psyched up to go in and make a sales call. I mean, that's not how we get ourselves prepared to make a step of faith, right? If you do that, as soon as the music stops, as soon as the energy dies, you're going to give up. And I think a lot of times we celebrate when people take a step of faith and people get real excited, but then once things get hard, they quit. And a, the faith to step out is not as impressive as the faith to stay. You know, if someone says, hey, I want to go to Africa and build a well and tell people about Jesus, we usually celebrate that. And we should. That's awesome. We're like, yes, yes, that's awesome. And they go... And a lot of times what happens is they're there a month and they realize it takes a lot of hard work 
and heavy digging to dig a well. And it takes a long time to build relationships and share Jesus with people. And then they end up giving up. And I think sometimes we do things out of the excitement or the energy of a moment. And we end up not sticking with our step of faith. So I think good preparation helps us stick and stay with the step of faith. So that it's not just a one-time decision, but it actually becomes a lifetime that we live. And I think one of the best people to look at in the Old Testament as we think about how to prepare for a step of faith is Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight. It'll be up on the screen. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background, the Israelites have disobeyed God and worshipped other gods and they were conquered by another nation and then that nation was conquered by another nation and some went back to Israel, they went back to Jerusalem, but the city was in ruins. And there were many Israelites, there were many Jewish people still in this foreign government and Nehemiah was one of those and he was a servant to the king. And let's pick up in verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakkiah, During the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And they said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, its gates have been burned. And when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And this is what I prayed, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him, and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you night and day for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you, and we have not kept the commands, the statutes, and the ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among all people. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even Though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to a place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people and you redeem them by your great power and your strong hand in the presence of this man. And at this time I was the king's cupbearer. And during the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxas, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king, and I had never ever been sad in his presence. And so the king said to me, why are you so sad? Are you sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And I was overwhelmed with fear, but I replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors, ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king asked me, what is your request? And so I prayed to the God of heavens and answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this account of Nehemiah. And Lord, thank you for the preparation he made. And Lord, thank you for the way that you blessed his preparation. You enabled his step of faith. And you helped him not just make a step of faith, but stick with it. And Lord, I pray that tonight that you will help us think about the step of faith that's next for us. And help us not just recklessly choose it, but Lord, may we purposely choose a step that we're going to follow through and stick with. Amen. So I want to look at uh, some of the ways that Nehemiah prepared here before he took this step of faith. It was a big step of faith. You say, well, he was asking his employer if he could have some time off to rebuild a wall. What's the big deal? He was working for a foreign king, and he was essentially saying, will you pay me to go back to my homeland, and will you also pay for all the remodeling and the building? That's crazy. 
It was a big request. You notice here, we're going to look at six things that he did before he took his step of faith. Uh, first of all, he gathered information, then he mourned, then he fasted, he prayed, and then he waited for the right moment, and finally, he did it. He actually took the step of faith. So we're just going to break these down and talk about how these apply to our steps of faith today. First of all, he gathered information. You see that he talked to the people who had traveled back and had seen firsthand what was happening. He gathered information. And I think sometimes when we think about taking a step of faith, we think, if you're taking a step of faith, you just got to be reckless with it, right? You're just like, just jump, don't even think about it. But I don't think a step of faith has to be an uninformed step, right? Before I started a church, I wanted to know, what does it take to start a church? What have other churches done in the Northeast? How can I know what other people have done and how can I learn from them? Even Jesus, when he invited people to follow him, he said, you should consider the cost. Because there's going to be a cost if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my follower. And so taking a step of faith means that you're believing something that you can't see, but it doesn't mean that you just ignore everything that you could learn or the consequences and issues that you could avoid. Be smart about it. Learn, prepare, study. Learn where other people have had issues and problems and prepare yourself for the step of faith. And then notice next that it says in verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and I mourned for a number of days. Now we live in a culture where we like to feel good all the time and we never like to mourn and we try to avoid it on all uh, opportunities, but there's sometimes when your heart just breaks. And I have a belief that all ministry, all service to other people comes out of brokenness. Until I'm broken for the pain that you're feeling, until I'm broken about the people who don't know Jesus, until I'm broken about the situation in our culture, in our society, or our city, I'm not going to do anything. And if I start a step of faith for the wrong reason, maybe for the praise or the applause of people, I'll only keep doing that step of faith as long as the applause and the praise of people continues. And once it stops, well, I'll give up and I'll do something else where I could get the appraise. But if I'm broken over people, if I'm passionate about helping people, there will always be more people to help. There will never be a reason for me to stop or step away from my step of faith. And so you see here that Nehemiah, he didn't try to avoid the tears or just not think about it. He could have been like, man, Jerusalem's in ruins. Try not to think about it. Let's see what's on television. You know, he didn't have a television, but, you know, gone down to uh, the arts or the theater and tried to get his mind off of it. But instead he said, no, I'm going to let this break my heart because a broken heart will move me to serve people in need. And then you notice next what he does here. It says that he fasted and he prayed. And we're going to look at these separately. Fasting is not something that we hear a lot about in churches anymore. I mean, if you're in the Catholic Church, you, uh, we fast during Lent, but besides that, we don't really talk about fasting, even though the Bible talks about it a great deal. In fact, the early Christians, they would fast one day a week, and they would take all the money that they saved because they didn't eat that day, and they would give it to the poor. And so for the first couple hundred years after Jesus, the early Christian church is fasting one day a week. And if you think about that today, maybe you spend $300 over a month, $10 over 30 days, $10 per day for 30 days. Um, if you fast one day a week, that's $40 a month you could be given to the poor. Just imagine how radically different our world might be if every Christian in North America fasted one day a week and took that money that they were going to spend on food and gave it to the poor. I think it would transform our nation. But even besides fasting... The, uh, just the, the benefits of fasting like that, I think the other thing to think about is the spiritual benefit. See, we live in a world where we're constantly wondering, what do I get out of this? 
What does this give me? What do I get? And when you talk about fasting, you're like, so what do I get out of that? I'm like, uh, you give up food. They're like, uh, okay. You know, like, that's not something that appeals to us. We don't like to give up stuff. We like to get stuff. So what happens when you fast? There's nothing magical there. You know, it's not like when you fast, God's like, oh man, now I have to give you that Corvette because you fasted. Now I can't get out of it. It doesn't uh, strong arm God or force him to do something. But fasting is saying my spiritual needs are more important than my physical needs. I have a physical need to eat, but my spiritual needs are more important. So I'm going to choose to willingly, temporarily set aside my, my physical needs to focus on my spiritual needs. And I find that uh, when I fast, it helps me refocus and get my priorities straight. But fasting isn't very popular. I remember a few years ago, there was a couple who were having a big argument. The wife was yelling at the husband, so he got so mad. He packed up a bunch of his favorite stuff, went and spent the night with a friend, and he thought, that'll show her. When I come back, she'll be real sorry. Well, instead, she was just like, fine, you want to move out? This marriage is over. And uh, so he came to me. He says, hey, I don't know what to do to save my marriage. And so we started talking and uh, praying together. And he explained the situation. And I said, you know what? Let's take this next 24 hours. Let's fast and pray for your marriage. Let's fast and pray for your wife's heart, for your heart, for this thing to be reconciled. Let's meet tomorrow night. And so, you know, it was, uh, it was like a Tuesday night, and I came back. We met on Wednesday night then, and I said, hey, did you fast? He goes, yeah. And then he goes, well, pretty much. And I was like, okay, what's, what's pretty much? Because I fasted all day for your marriage, you know? And he goes, well, I skipped breakfast, but I had lunch and dinner. And I go, so what you're telling me is you couldn't go one day, you couldn't give up food for one day for your marriage. And he goes, well... I guess, I guess not. I was like, I gave up one day's worth of food for your marriage. So what you're telling me is, I care more about your marriage than you do. He was just like, uh. And I go, if you're not willing to go without food for one day, I said, it's going to be a lot harder to save your marriage than going without food for one day. If you can't fast, then don't expect to be able to take your step of faith because 99% of your time, your, your step of faith is going to be harder than going one day without but he follows up fasting with prayer. And he is praying before the God of heavens. And I love the prayer that he lays out here. He doesn't give a prayer where he's like, God, you got to do this. you got to step up. Instead, he says, God, this is a lot of my own fault and our fault. And we've had a lot of this wrong and we want to get it right. See, sometimes I think of prayer, we think of prayer as like, okay, if I can pray the right way to God, he'll give me what I want. What I want is a Corvette. If I pray the right way, I will get it. Like maybe if I say the right words or I do the right deeds, maybe if I hold my tongue right or I make the right facial expressions, God will give me what I want. But prayer is not about us making God do what we want. Prayer is about us aligning with what God wants. Over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus said this, pray like me. He said, pray in my name. That doesn't mean we tack Jesus' name on the end of a prayer. It means that we pray like Jesus would. We pray in the place of Jesus. If Jesus stood in this place, what would he pray for? Who would he pray for? What would he want to see happen? And so every time I pray, what I'm thinking is, what would Jesus pray for in this moment? What would Jesus want? That's what I should pray for. And that's why Jesus says in the New Testament, if you pray for what I want, I will do it. Because prayer is about us aligning with God's will not trying to get God to align with our will. And so he comes in and he says, God, you know what? The fault's on us. But if you can use me, I want to be part of setting this right. And so 
Next, we see what he does is he waits for the right moment. Now, a couple things about waiting for the right moment. Our tendency when we're preparing is either to jump the gun because we want the praise and the applause, or to wait too long because we're afraid to take the step. Right? Most of us don't wait for the right moment. We usually jump the gun and go in too fast because we're like, I want people to notice me and be excited about this and give me praise and applause. And then we start a step of faith and we give up. Or what we do is we try to put the brakes on as much as we can and we say, I'm preparing right now. I'm going to take that step of faith someday, but I'm in preparation mode. And so it kind of takes the guilt off of us. Like, I'm still going to do it, just not right now. You've got to wait for it. I remember when I was in seminary and uh, I was like, I'm going to start a church. Like an idiot, I told people that, so they were always asking me about when I was going to do it. And uh, so they were always like, when are you going to start that church? And I'm like, you know what, I think I'm going to start taking one seminary class at a time. Let's put the brakes on this thing. Because the more I found out about church planting, I was like, this thing's hard. 50% of these fail. That's not very good odds. You know, and then you look at the Northeast, only 6% of new churches have started in the Northeast. And I'm like, that seems like a bad place to start one. But that's where I feel like God's calling me. So I'm like, I'll just take a long time in seminary. Maybe 10, 20 years in seminary. And then I'll be too old to start a church. Everything will be good. And, you know, I'll just go about my life. And God convicted me because I was missing moments because I was too scared to take my step of faith. So when you say you're waiting for the right opportunity, you're waiting for the right moment, and that's part of your preparation, this is not passive waiting. This is active waiting. Nehemiah was knocking on doors. He was still going in front of the king every day. He was waiting for his moment. He was eager about taking that step of faith. He wasn't trying to find a way to get around it, but neither was he like kicking in the door to the king and saying, you will see me right now. I want to go do this. He was waiting for the right moment, but it was active waiting. He was looking for his opportunity. He was pushing on doors to see if they would open. We need to be preparing in the same way. And finally, I put the last one on our preparation as just do it. Go and take your step. Because here's what happens sometimes when you give people a preparation list. They're like, I did that. Let's go ahead and start it over and do it again and do it again. And then I won't get. But if I put it on the list, you have to do it, right? You get to number six and it's take the step. Do it. Take the step. When you came in today, you were given a blank card. It's like a three by five card, maybe a little bit bigger. I don't know. I can't measure things. But it's a blank card. Here's what I want you to do. Pull that out. Write on it your step of faith. What's your next step of faith? Write down what you think God wants you to do next. What's the next step of faith for you? What's the next thing you're going to do that you can't see how it's going to turn out, but you believe that there's a God who's at work and wants you to do something? Write down your next step of faith. Put it on the card. Fold it up. I want you to think about how you can prepare for this step of faith this week. Hey, if you can use these five steps here, awesome. If you need to bring in some other steps, bring them in, but prepare. And then finally, the last thing I want you to do this week is take that folded up card as you prepare this week, give it to somebody and say, hey, will you help encourage me to take this step of faith? Because I know you're probably like me. And what happened to me when I knew I needed to take a step of faith? I'd start putting on the brakes. Because the more information I gathered, the scarier it got. And the more I was afraid and the more I thought, what if this doesn't work out? What if this doesn't work out like I want or look like what I want? What if it's hard or scary? And so share it with someone who can encourage you. And then maybe for some of you, maybe you've been hanging around the church. Maybe you've been hanging around us. But you've never made the biggest step of faith you can take. And that's to become a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you've been hearing about Jesus, you've read a little bit of the Bible, you've been hanging out around the church. Has there ever been a moment where you've said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior? You see, the Bible teaches that inside all of us is this destructive tendency to do what we want rather than what God wants. This destructive tendency to be selfish, and it hurts our human relationships, and it hurts our relationship with God. But rather than condemn us or destroy us or punish us, God sent his son Jesus into the world, who lived a perfect life and died in our place, and he invites us to become his followers. And maybe there's never been a moment in your life where you said, you know what, I want to be public with the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'd love to talk to you about taking that step of faith today. I'm going to invite our band to come back up and play one more song. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you're a God who calls us to steps of faith. God, you love us right where we are, but you want us to become so much more than we are. And we're so grateful that you move and work in our lives, that you encourage us to take steps of faith, steps that help us spiritually grow, that work out for the good of other people and ultimately glorify you. God, I pray for the people out here right now, whether they wrote it down on a card or whether they just thought about it in their heads, the next step of faith, that next thing that you want them to do or try, God, I pray that they will prepare so they don't just make a step of faith and then quit, but that they make a step of faith that leads to a long obedience, following you in faithful step after step for the rest of their life. I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ would pray.